across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. You guys have heard me talk a lot about this program that I'm creating and I basically met with eight of the world's top listing agents and recorded their candid no holds barred interviews with sellers and what they say to a seller, what they don't say to a seller, how they get a listing. We've broken it down into six chapters. It's about 12 hours of video and uh, we're going to be selling it as a course. But up until then, up until the point that it's ready, offering 30 minutes of it that you could watch for free and kind of beta test for me. Tell me what you like about it, what you don't like about it. So if you want to beta test this and you want to check out some of it for free, the section I'm giving away free is on touching and rapport building. I know that sounds odd, but each of the agents I talked to had ideas of where to touch. Like don't touch a guy on his hands. Uh, unless it's a handshake and stuff like that and there's also a bunch of stuff on rapport building you know like what to say and how to find commonality and just all kinds of neat stuff so if you want to watch that you get it for free go to hybendigital.com backslash rebus hybendigital.com backslash r-e-b-u-s and you'll get a free copy of that and let me know what you think of it thanks Okay, Rockstar Nation, we have a super-duper guest today. I got John Sterling from London, England, Chicago, Illinois. I don't know. I can't figure this guy out. Um, <laughs> cannot one degree. I think he. I can't see if he's one of those uh, people that's like an actor that is able to f- change their accent at will or he's just pulling my leg. But we're going to find out today and we're going to talk about everything team-building related with regards to people. The cool thing about John is he has built over 14 brokerages internationally and very successfully. And we're going to find out, you know, how he finds agents, how he finds agents that find agents and how he builds brokerages and how you can build a brokerage or build a real estate team uh, because he also has dealt with that as well. So uh, without further ado, John, welcome to Pat Hyben Interviews Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you. Glad to be here. Why don't you give us a breakdown a little bit? Give us a, give, give us your life story in five minutes, if you would, John, so uh, we can get to know you better. Do I have to take five minutes? No, no. How about a minute, actually? As soon as I said All that, right. I was like, oh, damn, I don't want that much downtime. Go ahead. Yeah, easy <laughs> enough. I'm uh, originally from the Midwest, which is why you don't pick up on the accent so much. Uh, it's built my career by launching new brokerages in markets where we didn't have them. Uh, and then after the financial collapse, I was the guy who would go fix the problematic brokerages. So I've been, uh, as you said, in 14 different markets, uh, mostly in the U.S. And then two year, just al- almost two years ago, moved to London, England to uh, launch an office there. So that office is now 30 people strong. We have a great Great group, uh, great set of inventory. I've simultaneously lost, launched a sales team because I'm transitioning out of the uh, brokerage management role. Hired a local replacement who's uh, much better qualified to deal with Brits for the long term than I am. 
Wow. Okay, so I got a million questions. But first of all, since you just said that you were in London for the last two years building a real estate company there, what are, what are the differences in trying to build a real estate company in London, England, versus trying to build one in Chicago, Illinois? Is it harder? Uh, is it easier? What do, you, what do you deal with? So there are a couple of things you should understand. So it's really uh, a different business. I mean, the fundamentals stay the same. We are helping people buy and sell real estate, right? That's it. Um, so that part of the job is the same. The rest of it looks very different. So for example, in the UK, there's no MLS. Uh, agent cooperation is very rare. So you see, see it sometimes, and we're trying to introduce that, but it's very rare right now. Um, buyer agency really isn't a thing. That's also very rare. Uh, there's no licensing required. So anybody off the street, if you want to be, uh, we call them estate agents over there. If you want to be an estate agent, you print up business cards and you're in business. Like You can do it that afternoon. So you can imagine that has yeah, more like lawyers, right? I mean, you like find like right? Uh, lawyers are involved, so they hand they do a lot of the heavy lifting in the transaction. So in the U.S., you know, we whatever state you're in, you generally have a large file of paperwork that you need to manage for each transaction. Uh, with us, we don't even do sales contracts. It's a one-page piece of paper that we fill out, send out to all the attorneys, buyer, seller, lender, and then we're out of it until well, the end. Right, but if you had to compare it to a profession in North America, it would be compared to a lawyer that works on contingency. Rather than a lawyer that charges you by the hour, it's a lawyer say, hey, you know what, You know, I'm going to do this lawsuit for you, and if we win, I'm going to take a third. Oh, uh, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, hey, I'm going to do this work for you. I'm going to get a percentage of of the, the sales price, but it, it's very methodical, right? Left-brained, it's more like a a commercial broker than it is uh, someone who has to deal with all the emotions and the ups and downs. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, uh, to a point. There's, there are um, interesting uh, features about the London market in particular. So you don't have a lot of people like moving their homes in London. It's almost exclusively investor business, and it's almost exclusively international investor business. So you don't get a lot of British folks buying stuff in London, right? And that's because so they just get, you know, that's the home is like a family heirloom, right? It's like a family ring that you pass yeah. down generation to generation. The house is the damn family ring, right? They really will. Yep. So you get outside of central London and it's more family oriented, you know, with schools and all that. Uh, but central London where we are, it's, it's uh, definitely an investor market. So there aren't many people moving there to plant roots. Um, again, that's a generalization. Depends on where what, you're looking. What, what sort of return? I don't mean the ADD on you, but what sort of return? If, if I buy a house in London, for equivalent of $200,000 US, <laughs> what, what is it rent for equivalent? If you can get a 3 to 4% return in London, you're doing really well. So um, 600 but, but bucks a month? No, yeah, that's not, that's not why people buy them though. Funny enough, no, it's one of the first things I just... Talk, talk to me about, what, what, do, what do you mean by 3 to 4? So 3 to 4%, like, so 3% rate, yeah. would be, oh, 3% cap rate. So yeah. 200000 so $6,000 divided by 12 is you're renting that thing for 500 bucks a month. Or yeah. Per, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah it doesn't, terrible. it doesn't, cash flow doesn't really work. So the, but the interesting thing is that the, the wealthiest people in the world are parking their money in London property. So they're buying these huge houses, apartment buildings, whatever. Uh, and they don't ever intend to live in the place. They don't ever intend to rent it out. They're just parking their money there because it's safe. It's not considered safe in China. It's not safe in the Middle East. It's not safe in Russia, even though the Russian clients have dried up once the sanctions started. So you're seeing the wealth of the world just park their money in London because it's seen as a safe market. So they're not really chasing returns like like we would in the U.S. They just want it. They just want it out of the reach of their home governments. That's all. That's interesting. And then and they see that as safe. 
Yeah, it's uh, been around for hundreds of years. It's very everything's very traditional. There's a very long process. They don't really make big changes in things. Although Great Britain leaving the European Union potentially could uh, shake things up. But still, is, London's going to be it, London. It's going to be old school, you know, forever. So, and talk to me about the Russians. So you you mentioned <laughs> sanctions. What what do you mean by that? Well, there's since Vladimir Putin was misbehaving a little bit, um, they've made life difficult for uh, Russian folks to get money out of Russia. That's essentially it. So it's just difficult for them to be in London. And, you know, we had a lot of Russian oil clients. And now it's like we're not buying oil from Russia because they're on timeout at the moment. So so who takes uh, care of these properties? I mean, are, are they like abandoned buildings in Baltimore City and Detroit, Michigan? Or and they're just yeah, right, sitting there, there gathering are, dust? Is it like that? Or yeah. do they have someone taking care of these things? Yeah, there, there are plenty of property management companies that will uh, take care of it. But a lot of them sit vacant. Uh, you mean you walk down. It's amazing to me. Like you walk on some of the most – you walk down the street, some of the most expensive real estate in the world, and there's nobody there. It's like a ghost town. You know, these big, beautiful mansions, you know, maybe they visit a couple times, a couple times a year, you know, a couple weeks, whatever, but that's, they're just not processing or using real estate like we would in the U.S. And, and on some level they they don't want to just have it in cash because on some level they don't trust that. Right. Yep. It's, there's something safe. that says maybe, you know, you can't access some, uh, a piece of real estate, but you can access someone's savings or, right. yeah, yep. interesting. Yep. And most of the most of the people in our market anyway, they they own the properties. It's not like the U.S. where you can call up your title company and figure out who owns it. They do have a land registry, but most of the people who are worth anything uh, are buying them with. Uh, they're called offshore entities. So it's a whole. It's kind of like an anonymous LLC, if you will. Yeah, uh, that'd be a good comparison. So there, it's most of the wealthy people are buying them through these offshore entities. You can never figure out who owns it. So it's not like I could write a letter to the the owner. You never know who the owner is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, you know, on one hand, I see it as, you know, is it a way of making yourself judgment proof? On another yeah. hand, it's probably more likely that, you know, you're afraid someone's going to take it for a legitimate reason or illegitimate. Right. I mean, that's it's interesting. But OK, yeah. very, very good. All right. So let's talk about this uh, 14 real estate offices. What do you look for on day one? When you are trying to build, whether it's a real estate team or a real estate brokerage, what, what type of person are you looking for day one? Uh, so the first thing I do when I go to a new market, if it's a place I haven't lived before, I will uh, try to meet with as many influential people as possible. So people that are in the business, related to the business, been around for a while, just to get the lay of the land and figure out, you know, who should I be talking to? What should I know? You know, who should I not be talking to? That's an important question, too. So, and, it's and so really who are you asking this? Are you asking this to like termite inspectors, home inspectors, yeah, mortgage anybody. officers, people like that? Anybody you can meet yep. in the real estate realm? Yeah, in the U.S., it's I mean the lenders and title folks are generally good places to start. You know, the people that have been in the business for a long time, whether they're with my company or not, like that's that's fine. You know, it's like I don't, I have friends in every company, so I'm not so worried about that part. Uh, but I just try and get their take, and you know, I, I ask their advice too. People love to give advice, so just say, you know, if you're in my position, what would you do? You get all kinds of answers, but you don't even have to listen, but it's it's just good to know the perspective. So, um, And London was especially educational. We took an extra long time to do that just because the um, you know, I'm with Keller Williams. There are other North American companies that have done very well in North America that have tried to come to London and largely, you know, they haven't made an impact. They're not a real presence. So I wanted to be sure that we understood very clearly why those same companies that are great companies have done very well in North America have not made an impact in London after years and years of trying. So we just didn't want to repeat their mistakes. So um, spent a lot of time doing that. And it's, it's 
interesting to to get the the take from the local folks versus what you hear uh, from the folks in the U.S. Uh, so it's a very the, the short answer is those companies showed up with a level of uh, we'll call it American arrogance that if you just do the business like we do in the U.S. it'll be fine, right? Which does not play well with the Brits at all. Like they didn't take the time to understand the difference in culture. They didn't take the time to understand how business works in a different country. So you might think they're similar to the U.S. and the U.K., but there's there there are more differences and similarities. So oh man, I I understand. I, I'm seeing that just moving south. You know, I've <laughs> yeah. I've moved south and. People think I'm an asshole because, you know, I, if they tell me they're going to come on Tuesday, I expect them to be here on Tuesday right. and on the, you know, from, from Maryland, you know, that, that's, that's how you rolled and that's what I expected. But, uh, here it's a whole nother story about how slow everything is and how they do things and you don't get in the way and you trust people and, yeah. you know, I mean, there's so many things it's good and bad, but it's interesting, but I, I'm, I'm dealing, I'm, I'm dealing with that. So I know what you're saying. Okay. So. So you just ask around, who do you, who should I be talking to? Just be very yep. curious. Da, da, da. And then what? Well, I'm just like, then I start interviewing people. I just, you know, the interview process is very similar to what it is in the U S uh, well, I'm, I'm giving you a London example at the moment. Um, but really you're just, you're just trying to figure out who are the people that are best aligned with the way that we do business and what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, because it's the one thing I have learned that's an important lesson is that, um, just because someone is a really great producer does not mean that they're a great person to be in business with. Yeah. Hmm. So that's a, you know, sometimes they can come around, like sometimes they just never been given the opportunity to operate a business with high integrity, right? They've just gotten by slashing and burning. Um, and if you introduce them to, you know, this, a different way to think about things that they, they will come around and sometimes they're just, just set in their ways and they're not, you know, they're not people you want to be in business with. You can still be friends. You're just not going to be working with them. That yeah. Well. Yeah. 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 Okay, so let's say you're giving advice to a real estate agent who has been in business five years, is selling 35 houses a year, mm-hmm. starting to reach a little bit of a burnout phase. You know, they're, yep. they're deemed in their office to be successful because if you're doing 35 deals by yourself, you know, you know, when you have a decent split, you're making a decent amount of money. So, and they, they're like, you know what? Okay, I, I want to change how I go about this five years from now on my 10 year anniversary, mm-hmm. I want to have a big team. I want to have, you know, 15, 20 people on my team. What advice do you have for them from day one to who, how to build this real estate team? Sure. The first thing I would do is spend as much time as I needed digging around to figure out what is their big why? Like, why are they doing this? Why is a big real estate team important to them? Why are they in the real estate business in the first place? Because without a clear understanding of their motivation, I'm not sure that any other advice I give them would be that useful. Like, mm. sure, I could I could coach them and give them advice on the mechanics of how to build a sales team. Like, that's that's not that complex. Um, not necessarily easy, but it's not complex. So, but it's you know all of that will be useless if there's not a good enough reason why they're doing it. Um, so I don't know, not really attached to what that reason is. I just want them to be clear on what it is. Yeah, uh, and chances are their answer is going to be one, make more money; two, have more free time. I mean, those are pretty sure. much the cliches. Yep. And then I then I would drill down and say, all right, well, how much more money? How much more free time? Like, what do those things do for you? What are you going to do with the money? You're just going to like, spread it all out on your living room floor, roll around in it. Like, what do you want to do? Like, why is that important? All right. So you're you just drilling down and you just keep getting after that that core motivation. Because without that, I mean, it's it's you're skipping a step. You know, you really have to understand and be clear about why that's important before you go building the thing. So, hmm, hmm. okay. And then, what about the person that's going to help them 
leverage the building of the team. Let's say they, you know, they're going to be busy and they want to yep. leverage and they get this ideal person, just like you've done 14 times. You obviously mm -hmm. didn't do this, uh, you know, uh, by yourself because you were eventually able to leave and sure. let these things run on their own. So let's say I wanted to build a team that I wanted to think in that manner. What type of, uh, you know, if you're, let's say DISC personality style, what type of personality traits do they want? I look for the, for those of you familiar with the DISC, I look for the, the leadership Z, the high D, high I's. Those seem to be the best suited for taking over leadership roles. And part of that just goes, you know, as a rule of thumb, you know, what, the first people I'm looking for, I try to find five potential replacements for myself as fast as I can, right? Now, they may not be ready today. It may take them a couple years, right? But it's, I want them to have sort of the core skills and behavior and motivation and whatever to, to uh, uh, potentially take my place someday. Because if I know that I have five and I can nurture those people, help them with their businesses, you know, worst case scenario is now they all have great businesses and none of them can replace me. Like that, and that's okay. That's not a bad situation. But mm -hmm. um, best case scenario is now I have three or four or five potential leaders that we can plug into different roles, so we can all have a bigger life. All right. So you want dominant and social. You don't necessarily, and you don't want empathetic and attention to detail. And then, and then you're hiring under them the S and C. The yep. um, yeah. The okay. Right. That is that that main that assistant role, you know, it's like the, your first administrative hire is a very very important one. Um, it's got it's you know so like you said, it's like yes, I'm looking for the the salespeople people can can replace me at the same time. Like I know that I need to shore up my systems and details and all that stuff because I don't really I'm not very good at that stuff. Um, so I find ways to offload that as fast as I can too. What was the biggest mistake you've made in all these building of companies, and what you learn from it? I would say, personally, probably the biggest mistake I made was not doing enough research before I committed to going to a new market. So not having it, like, I didn't, I didn't spend the time meeting with all the, you know, the influential people in town until I got there. Like, I'd already committed to it and then got there. I was like, whoa, like, this is more than what I, you know. There's always stuff that shows up that I wasn't expecting. But I could have done a better job of preparing for that if I had spent some time on the ground before committing to something. Either that and then uh, hiring too quickly. Like it's, I get, eh, because I'm pretty good at hiring and I've interviewed thousands of people, like I get, you can, you can make excuses for yourself and say, well, I'm just going to go with my gut on this. Um, almost every time I go with my gut on something without following the processes we have in place, it ends up being a bad hire. Not necessarily bad, but not the best that I could have done. So you just got to slow down and surrender to the process. That's a, and I still struggle with that. Like, I think I'm smarter than the system, even though intellectually I know I'm not. But like I will behave as if I am in some cases, right? Well, so. yeah, I, no, no, I totally agree with you, and I think that that is true with expansion teams too. I have a lot of people on the radio show here that are doing expansion teams that want to do expansion teams. It's a huge buzzword, right? It's like yep, yep. you know, and and they they want to be able to say that, and they like to be able to say it, and I and I believe in expansion teams i do believe it, it is going to work and it is a wave of the future but i also believe that you're going to have a lot of failure from people that don't like you said and i'll use your word surrender to the process they just go out and do it i mean i have people i've had people on the show with between 10 and 15 expansion teams in in a period of like a couple years and I question, hey, is the jury out yet on said process on what works and what doesn't? Talk to me a little bit about it. What yep. well, you're doing it yourself. 
obviously, yep. you know, first tell me about your experience with expansion teams. Sure. Well, as you said, it's all pretty new. I mean, the I've worked with you know plenty of big teams around the country, um, so I'm familiar with the teams and how the best ones function and their struggles as they grow, uh, and just kind of try and organize their businesses. Um, this kind of feels like the, the analogy that I like to use, just to give people a heads up, is like it kind of feels like in 2005, 2006, when the market was really hot, people were hiring buyers agents like crazy, right? They're hiring 10, 15 buyers agents for their team. And then in exchange for coaching and you know, their supports, so it wasn't the true sort of team setup that we teach them from the, the MREA, um, but it's like in exchange for the coaching and support, now they're getting 50% of the commission. Well, in a hot market, when there's leads that keep coming in and it takes you know less than a day to sell a house for over-asking with multiple bids, like what yeah. we're seeing right now, that's you can get away with it. It'll hide a lot of efficiencies. In oh, my God. Like yeah, and I, I can look back on those days for me personally, and I... I had some buyer agents that would that would never they wouldn't even be hired today to sell something in a retail store nonetheless yeah. hired to sell a house. I mean, I was just hiring 21 22 year old kids. I was hiring people oh. that were just not sharp and and they were still selling, you know, 22 houses, 25 houses a year and I was happy with that because the because on on the a traditional solid broker split, it was I was making money from them, a lot of money from them. Yeah. So, okay, so it feels like that to you. Yeah. And what's wrong here's, with here's that? what happens okay, when yeah. the market shifts, the party's over, <laughs> right? It's like because then you end up it, it's worse than having never hired them in the first place. So it's like it's short sighted to be making money in that fashion, right? Now, if you have systems and lead generation that will support those buyers agents in any market, hot market, a, a slower market, whatever. Um, then that's fine. Like you should be hiring responsibly to be sure that you can sustain those roles, you know, when things shift. Because we know a shift is coming. Like we don't know when, we don't know how, but it's coming. It's like we know that markets don't they're not linear. Like it's like markets go up, markets go down. This is how this works. So it's it's it just feels the same because it's a it's a popular thing. It's kind of easy to do because the market's hot, so you can hide a lot of the like I said, you're hiding a lot of the inefficiencies by not having good systems and support in place before you grow. So I am, I am anticipating that you're going to see a lot of these people that have done, you know, 10, 15, 20 expansion teams over the past 18 months. I'm like, mm, I'm not sure how many of those are going to make it. Now, I hope they prove me wrong. I hope they've got it figured out and I can learn from them. But I'm guessing that we're going to see some of those people go away. Okay. So let me put you on the spot a little bit. And let, sure. let's say you were to create uh, with what you know personally and what you've learned the john sterling three-point way to do an expansion team right if you had to spit yep. out three things from your subconscious what would they be uh be sure you have great admin support and systems in place before you leave your home market that's important because otherwise you're just going to create chaos and it'll be chaos in two different places okay so build so. the mothership so that yep. it spits nails first yep Systems and support. It's like be sure everything is organized and neat and and you is know. over staffed. I think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, understaffing versus overstaffing. It's very difficult to overstaff 
something because it's a waste of money and it's a waste of time. You have people twiddling their thumbs. What do we do now? And you're like, oh, my God, I can't watch. Are the right people. They'll keep themselves busy with with relevant work. So and that's a, that could be a training issue, too. It's a hiring issue first, but it's a training issue once you get them. You can't just hire and say go to work. I mean, it's great when you get one who right. who doesn't have to be guided. They're just begging for more to do, and they'll go find work to do for themselves. That's fantastic. So find those people. But so get the, it, get the just, mothership on a ten yep. at ten at ten at a scale of one to ten a ten. Yep, I'd say the second most important thing, or it's tied for number one even, is lead generation. It's like if you're not consistently generating enough leads to support another full time person, then don't hire another full time person. It's how we're it's how we're easing ourselves into the LA market. I mean, we have plenty of work to do in London, right? But we've discovered is that a lot of the people in London and a lot of the people in LA are the same people. So what's people the benchmark then? Like how many? Like I I know there's a team here, the Jeff Cook team. They got like 50 agents, and they only allow get this 10 leads that an agent is allowed to work on their own. You're only allowed to have 10 leads in your boomtown or whatever that you're working on a, on on a daily basis. And if you have 11, you have to decide which of the 11 is the worst. And then you throw it into this pot and the new agents get to go in there and eat and call any lead in this pot. It's called the pot. So what number of those type of leads would you say is acceptable for an agent to have in an expansion market um, before you hire, you know, the the next agent or how many houses, how many, give, give me a benchmark. Yep. So um, I haven't thought of it in, as you're describing it, as a uh, number of active leads. Um, but the way, just kind of as a rule of thumb, we're saying if you're Unless you're consistently closing two or more transactions a month, then we need to work on it's like you need to work on skills and systems, or we need to work on the leads. Like so maybe maybe six months of average, six months of minimum two sales a month. Yep, and then it's like if we still have overflow leads, then we'll add somebody else. So the the one thing to watch there is that if you don't have enough you know, buyers agents around to service these leads that it's very easy for them to get into a cherry picking situation where they're going to let go of the ones that are six months out, even though they're high quality leads because it's not today money. Right. Um, so you just, you just have to have, again, that goes back to the systems and, and admin support to be sure that we have multiple people watching it in multiple different ways. And that's, that's an accountability issue. It's a training issue. It's not, as long as you're aware of it, it's easy to manage, but it's something that gets away very quickly if everybody's running around, you know, very, very busy. So. So don't don't just go in there and say we're hiring, right? Find somebody who uh, you think is going to be the absolute best at it. So so that any benchmark after them is is not as good or as good as this person because if you hire the worst person in the beginning, it could be three years before they're selling two houses a month. Yep. Yep. So that's a, I don't know that I'd wait two years with someone. I would either coach them out of the role or they'll <laughs> figure it out because they're not making any money. But, um, and that's, you know, and a lot of that would be shame on me for not putting that person in the right role. Um, cause if they're, if it's taking them that long to sell a house, then I made a mistake somewhere along the way. So that's on me. So build the um, mothership. So it's, it's as tight yep. as possible. Step two would be, you know, lead generation, uh, lead yeah. generate, get your lead, gener- whatever it is, get your lead. Yeah. Cause there's a million ways, right? There's a million yeah. ways to get leads, get your lead generates to a point where the person at the expansion team is at two houses per month for six months or more. Step three. Yep. I'd say, uh, don't go too fast. 
because the the systems that you have in place that'll be able to support one market are going to be different than the ones you need for two markets and the ones for two markets are going to be different than the ones you need for five markets like things are going to change every time you add another place okay so what, but that's okay so changes, don't go too right? fast it kind of is the same thing you said number two would you say that number three would be don't go too fast on your second expansion team until you have x in place on your first one what would be that number what would be that benchmark um so the well that's the interesting thing is that we're as we you know the easing into la like i said we're discovering things as we show up it's like okay what are the difficult things to manage going to be are they going you know it's like from a dispersed sales team so it's a little unique the way i'm processing that question that you're asking uh just because it's yeah because you're dealing with it today right it's an eight-hour time difference. So <laughs> even getting on the phone, you know, it's like they're doing the lead generation time. Well, you know, we're either out of the pub or we're in bed. Like, it's I mean, like how many service. how many agents, how many sales do you think mm-hmm. rightfully you should be doing? Not at the mothership, but at the first expansion. We'll call it we'll call it first, but it's really your second team that you're building before you go to the third one. I would say, well, if I could back up one second on that. I would say it's, you know, we're using that two per person per month is like the absolute minimum. Um, but I would say you don't even get a, you don't even get a full-time person and call it a team expansion until you're getting that many referred out, right? So it's like you just start generating the leads. You have the admin support in place, so that's already there. You're generating leads in this new market, but you haven't hired a full-time person until you are consistently getting you know, income from that market until the referral fees can pay for it. That's a simple way to think about it. Wow, uh, I like that. And it's certainly a, a, a slower and a safer process. So what you're saying is the way you start is you start developing leads in that market and then you just throw them out there to agents in that office that you're mm-hmm. attaching to or agents in that market and, and say, give me a 25, 30, 35, whatever percent referral yeah. fee. And yep. then when you start getting, let's say, to and I'm making this up uh, and and brand yeah. branding it John Sterling yeah. two three yeah. four referral checks a month you then you can say you know what I'm getting so many referral checks that I might as well have my own agent and uh, get fifty percent rather than twenty five percent then Correct. put that agent in place. Yep. So it's a it's a little bit slower. You're not making as much per transaction at the beginning. But as much of a big risk taker as I am, like I believe that this is a conservative way to do it, and that's it's gonna be much better for us for the long term. Because um, I think that the you know the biggest thing that I've seen so far, and that I'm a little spooked about just because of the way the market's behaving right now, is hiring too fast and letting down. Because that's not good for. I mean, there's a human element to it too. It's like it's not good for your business to have. It's like okay, now we have 12 people. Okay, now we're down to six because we hired too fast. Like that just doesn't. Doesn't make me feel good as a business and owner. And all the leads, but, and of course they're going to take yeah. the leads with them, no matter what you have them sign. You know, yeah. so. But these are and these are people. I mean, that's the that's the other part to it. It's like this is, you know, they're taking a risk by coming to work with you. It's like I, you know, it's like there there are other pieces to it. It's like they have families that need to eat. Like they've got their own financial goals. You know, so it's like if I am doing a poor job of setting them up for success, then shame on me. Like I don't want to do that. I would prefer to be you know, stacking the deck in our favor. So when I hire these people, I've hired them and this is their last job forever. Like, that's how I look at it. I'm like, I don't want this to be a stepping stone. You know, this might not be their last role forever, but I want it to be the last company they work for. So I don't, you know, it's, and if I'm not, if I'm not able to provide enough leads for this to be a viable team or a viable long-term position, 
then I shouldn't be hiring that person. I should still be referring them out until we get there. So I like it. I like it. So so tighten the mothership, you know, 12 deals in, in six months and about the same or more uh, referrals in six months though, before you open up your next one. That is brilliant. I like it. And thanks for uh, setting the benchmarks and going out on a limb and, and saying that because I think, you know, it's nice for people to hear that, you know, how to – what what exactly you need to think about when doing an expansion team and and, and what exactly you don't want to do right yeah with an expansion that's, team. that's probably that's probably the part that doesn't get talked about enough it's, it's like everybody has these grand plans and big ideas which is fine i totally support it because i'm in that boat too but we don't spend enough time analyzing where other people have made mistakes like you learn from other people's mistakes it's much cheaper than making them yourself so now now you have uh one in london right Yep. You're opening yep. one in LA? Correct. Um, again, we're starting with referral partners. So, okay, yeah. Just uh, like your model, like the John Sterling yep. model. It's yeah, called the JS3. There. I'll let you brand it. Yeah, JS3. <laughs> Good. Do I have to do I owe you royalties on that? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny enough, I keep. So, this is an interesting thing, too. Sometimes it may be too late for people who've already spent a lot of time branding themselves or are like, you know, many celebrities in their market. Um, we're using a generic name. So, my name is not on anything, even though it's my operation it's a it's vivus worldwide so v-i-v-u-s it's a latin word that means alive or living and part of the process for picking that was that uh it's easy to, to spell and pronounce and there were some interesting domain names available for so, okay, before so, i registered the company i want to be sure that there were some dot coms that were relevant before i went and bought it so. and, and and talk to me why why do that yeah um because then we can if it, I think about it and it's Two different things. One is that my clients over the years have always appreciated that I'm different than what they typically see other realtors doing. So I, you know, I don't put my photo on my business cards. These are all personal preference things, right? So it's, I'm not saying that I have the right way to do it. It's just for my clients, it works well. Um, it's like I don't put my photos on my cards. You know, it's like and the the thing that I tell people is like, oh, why would I give someone the opportunity to disqualify me on my physical looks? Either I'm too old, too young. <laughs> Too white, too like whatever, too bearded. I don't whatever people they make judgments about this. Yeah. We've seen data about this. You take your photo off. I want them to experience me being a very intelligent and you know someone who cares about customer right. customer. Because at the end of the day, before. people don't think, uh, oh, well, I'm going to call Remax. What does Dave Leninger look like? Let me Google his <laughs> name. And then they're they're not going to they don't do that. You know. Yeah. 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 So the, that's that's part of it. The other part is that we're beginning with the end in mind. So we are truly focused on building a business that we will have the the ability to sell or hire someone else to run, you know, within the next three to five years. So it's a and if we're doing that, I don't want my name on it because if I sell it and I go retire to the beach, which is unlikely, by the way, I'm never going to quit working. <laughs> um, but let's just hypothetically, like if I needed to. Right. It's like and let's say they start doing a poor job with customer service, whoever the new owners are. I'm still going to get calls because that's my sphere of influence that they just bought. Like, that's my yeah. database. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not involved anymore. I was like, your name's on it. Like, you fix it. Like, I can't. <laughs> There's just no way. So I don't, you know, my, I, I certainly have a healthy ego, but it's not so big that I have to have my name on everything. So very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I love it. I love it. Well, John, listen, everything that we talked about today, I'm going to put on hybendigital.com backslash John Sterling. And what you guys need to know is this J O N. Right, it's the English spelling of John. No, it's J J O N S T E R L I N G, John Sterling. Or in our type bar, in our search bar on Hybin Digital, you can type in John. You can 
type in expansion teams. You can type in anything that we talked about, and good chance it's going to come up. So, anyways, John, thanks so much for sharing all that you've shared. Anything you'd like to leave our audience with, sir? Oh, just thank you for your time. I appreciate what you're doing. And if anybody needs anything or wants to wants me to clarify, uh, best way to reach me is by email or Twitter. So it's John J O N at kwmayfair.com kwmayfair.com or on twitter i am at mr sterling it's all spelled out m-i-s-t-e-r s-t-e-r-l-i-n-g so those are the fastest ways to reach me i'm always i'm a big nerd so i'm always excited to talk about real estate so find me if you need me that's what i heard about you by the way (laughs) i'm just teasing awesome buddy well listen yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right man have a great day john you too thanks pat take care Thanks so much, guys, for listening to Pat Hyben interviews Real Estate Rockstars. Please don't forget that if you go to hybendigital.com, we have tons and tons of resources that you could use for free to help you make more commissions selling real estate. Every episode is on there, over 350, and there's a search bar that you could just type in the name of the episode, the number of the episode, or any category or keyword that you want like fizbos expired expansion teams buyer agents whatever and episodes will come up that match that another thing you could really help me out with is you can go to itunes and give me a five star review there the more reviews i get the higher in the rankings i climb and the better guests i'll be able to get for your listening pleasure Thanks again so much for listening. And don't forget, every episode, write down two or three things and put them to work. Make them part of your goal setting and make it happen. I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out. We're on Twitter, at Pat Hyben. We're on Instagram, Real Estate Rockstar Podcast. And we're all over Facebook on Six Steps to Seven Figures and Pat Hyben interviews real estate rock stars. And don't forget, if you want to hear more of me, my awesome book that is a New York Times bestseller, Six Steps to Seven Figures, is now out on audio. Just go to audible.com, type in Pat Hyben or Six Steps to Seven Figures, and you can listen to it. And of course, the paperback and ebooks are also available now at excellent prices. Have a great day, and don't forget, Rockstar Nation, keep rocking! This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.